Again, good morning, everyone. Last week, we began a four-part series entitled The Lord of the Banquet. And what we're looking at is Jesus' first miracle when he turned the water into wine at the wedding at Canaan of Galilee. So again, let's begin this morning by reading the text that's found in John's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear now the word of God. On the third day, there was a wedding in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, We have no wine. And she said, and Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you to do, do it. Now there were six stone pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw out some now and take it to the head waiter. And they took it to him. And the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it had come from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. That finishes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Now, last week we looked at those invited to the wedding And we concluded that Mary, Jesus, and Jesus' brothers were invited to the wedding because they were either close family friends or members of the family. But Jesus' disciples were not family. They probably didn't know the bride and groom, and the bride and groom probably didn't know them. The fact is, is that Jesus' disciples only had been invited to the wedding only a couple days before the wedding. Jesus' disciples were strangers. So the question we asked was, why were strangers invited to this week-long wedding celebration that included a full course of food and drink? And we came to the conclusion it's because Jesus wanted to underscore the truth that in his new community, strangers are welcomed to the banquet. Brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us that in Christ, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are members of God's household. Amen. And you are members of Jesus's family. Jesus made sure his disciples were invited to the wedding because when Christ calls us to be his disciples, we become one with Christ. The two become one flesh. Now this morning I want us to focus in on the wedding 
and want us to reflect upon the redemptive significance behind the wedding ceremony. Now, sad to say, but our culture today portrays a negative perspective about getting married. A story is told about a a young girl, her first time uh, attending a wedding, and when she saw the, the bride, she whispered to her mother, why is the bride wearing white? And the mother softly responded, well, white is the color of happiness, and today is the happiest day of her life. The young girl reflected a little bit and then asked her mother, well, why then is the groom dressed in black? I thought it was pretty funny anyway. (laughs) Yeah, today's culture, uh, the bridal party and the bachelor parties are designed for one last hurrah before they enter into matrimonial prison. That's how many people look at it. But even though modern culture might portray marriage in a negative way, the Bible is very positive about marriage. As a matter of fact, the Lord instituted marriage into the human relationship because it was not good for man to be alone. We see that God himself ordained marriage as the most intimate relationship known to humanity. In his word, God uses the marriage relationship of a man and a woman as the closest relationship that exemplifies Christ's love for his church, Christ's love for his disciples, Christ's love for believers in Christ. And I believe when you see the parallel between the Jewish wedding ceremony and the relationship between Christ and his bride, that is the church, you will discover why Jesus chose the wedding at Canaan to be his first miracle. And you'll see why Jesus insisted that his disciples be invited to the wedding. Now, the Jewish Marriage custom can be outlined in six phases. One is the uh, betrothal, then the paying of a dowry, then there's the interval, and then the preparation and, and procession, then receiving the bride, and lastly, the wedding banquet. banquet. And what I want to do is quickly work through these six phases with you. First is the betrothal. The betrothal was far more binding than what our modern-day engagement is. Uh, Betrothal uh, is the marriage terms are accepted by the man and the woman in the presence of witnesses, and God's blessing is pronounced upon the couple. From that day, the groom and the bride are legally husband and wife. We see this in um, Mary and Joseph's relationship when the Bible refers to them as husband and wife, even though they had not come together. Then there's the pain of the dowry. The father's bride, excuse me, the father's, the bride's father would set the payment due that the groom had to pay to secure the marriage. We see this in the story of Jacob in the book of Genesis, where he worked for his father-in-law 
uh, Laman for seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage. That was his dowry he had to pay. Next comes is the interval. When the groom leaves the bride and returns to his father's house for a period of about 12 months. Then is the, the preparation and the procession. So during this time of the interval, the bride prepares and adorns herself for the upcoming wedding banquet that's going to take place in approximately 12 months. And when the time comes, the groom will dress in his best attire and he will be accompanied by his friends and they will make a procession back to the bride's house singing and carrying torches. After arriving back to the home of the bride, the groom receives his bride and then with a returning procession travels to the place where the wedding banquet will be held. The wedding banquet would go on for at least seven days with food and drinks being provided by the host family. This wedding banquet is what Jesus and his disciples were invited to at the wedding of Canaan. Now, hopefully you have begun to see the parallel between the Jewish wedding ceremony and our relationship with Christ. Let me try to unpack this for you. The Bible tells us that the believer is betrothed to Christ. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We are claimed to be his bride. And through our confession of faith, we make a public profession that Christ is our husband. God the Father set the price for the dowry. And it was the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Christ paid the dowry for his bride with his blood. As the scriptures teach us, we are not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Amen? As the hymn writer wrote, from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his blood he bought her, and for her life he died. So after paying the dowry, the interval begins with Christ's ascension back to the Father in heaven. During the interval, his bride, the church, believers in Christ, make themselves ready. And then a time will come where Christ will return for his holy bride in a holy procession from heaven. When Christ comes again, he will receive us as his bride and he will escort us to the wedding banquet, the celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb. I think the redemptive parallel between the Jewish wedding ceremony and our relationship with Christ as his bride, we can see why Jesus insisted that his new disciples be invited to the wedding at Canaan. Jesus wanted to use the wedding 
this wedding at Canaan to lay the foundational idea that his relationship to the church is as a husband is to a bride. And Jesus has come, came to establish his new community to establish the church. Now, in future ministry, Jesus will use weddings and banquets as metaphors to illustrate the truth about the kingdom of God. And we'll look at some of those teachings of Christ in weeks to come. But for now, I want you to see that Scripture again and again communicates the marital relationship between Christ and his bride. One example of this is found in the Old Testament when the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah. Quote, For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. Notice, your husband is your maker. The prophet is laying out the idea that we are married with Christ. Now, probably one of the best images of this marital relationship between Jehovah God and his people is seen in the prophet Hosea's unfailing love for his unfaithful white Gomer. As you might know that we see in all the prophets, either through their dress or through their um, through their marriages like his here with Hosea or some factor about them is something that emphasizes their main message. And it's exactly what we see in the prophet Hosea. His wife Gomer was unfaithful to him. And even though she was unfaithful to her husband, Hosea mercifully restores her to her former position of honor as his wife. This marital relationship between Christ and his church, well, it's completely revealed in the New Testament. When the Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, uses the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife as a divine example of the relationship between Christ and his church. If you're familiar with this passage, you, you know how Paul will go back and forth using the wife and then the husband and then he'll use Christ and his church. And it's, it's kind of a ping pong match uh, between both using both as the text goes on in Ephesians chapter five. But this morning what I've done is I've edited that passage to highlight the teachings about Christ and his bride. We're not going to dwell much with the idea of husband and wife. Let me read that portion of Scripture exclusively as it reveals the teaching of Christ and his bride. Christ and you and I. Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself a church 
in all of her glory without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and blameless. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church because we are members of his body. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Now, this passage of scripture captures the beautiful relationship between Christ and his bride, the church, Christ and you and I. And I want you to understand what the Lord is telling us about our collective relationship with him as his church is true. So as he talks about the church in the passage, our collective relationship with Christ, we need to understand that this is for each one of us too. What Christ meant to teach about us collectively, he wants you to enjoy individually. So these things I'm about to say is not only about the church collectively, it's about your relationship with Christ. Are you all here with me this morning? In this passage, we see that Christ as our husband is constantly concerned for the welfare of his bride. He is her savior who mercifully restores her to a position of honor, even though she has been unfaithful. He loves his bride so much that he gave himself up for her. He sets her apart from all others and continually cleanses her from the impurities of this world by bathing her in the wor his word of truth. He is relentless in his bountiless, elaborate, unremitting, and sympathetic love for his bride. The brilliance of her beauty, while well, it's discovered in his eternal desire to present his bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. His great love for his bride, while well, it's discovered in his desire that she would be holy and blameless, brilliant in purity. The fact is, is that his bride owes all of her beauty to him. Our bridegroom, our husband, because we are his single object of everlasting love. The passage continues telling us that Christ nourishes and cherishes his church as his own body. Because Christ and his bride have become one flesh. And this oneness between Christ and his bride, between Christ and his church, between Christ and his disciples is a mystery that has been revealed in Christ abounding love for his people. This mystery that for ages has been hidden, is now completely revealed in Christ. This mystery is rooted and grounded in love and it enables us to begin to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ 
for his church, for his people, for his bride. This mystery reveals Christ's love for us is far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or even think. This mystery reveals that all the glory, all the praise belongs to Christ. This mystery reveals that our beauty has nothing to do with our good works. Our beauty has nothing to do with our personal attempts for perfection. Our beauty is only because of Christ's bountiful, elaborate, unremitting, sympathetic love for us, his bride. And the point is, that's who you are in Christ. You are his wife, his bride, and he is our husband. And I want to tell you that these truths are not imaginations. These truths are not exaggerations. These truths are not empty metaphors. But these truths are simple, scriptural, sanctifying, saving truths so that you might know the love of Christ has for you. So we can certainly conclude that Christ has chose us to be his bride. That he has paid the dowry to the father with his blood. And has now returned to his father in heaven. So today, the church is in this, in this interval stage of the wedding ceremony. The stage when the bride is making herself ready, waiting for the bridegroom to return. When he will lead his bride in a heavenly procession to the wedding banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, next week, we'll look at the banquet and consider our participation in the marriage supper of the Lamb. But as I conclude this morning, I want to challenge us as the bride of Christ to make ourselves ready for the coming of our bridegroom. The book of Revelation tells us about the bride making herself ready by adorning herself for her husband, our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? How do we adorn ourselves? How do we make ourselves ready? And I believe that the Bible teaches us the way we make ourselves ready for the coming of our bridegroom is by bathing in his word of truth. We open ourselves up to be soaked by God's love through his word. We open ourselves up to be saturated in his word. And we do this because as we open ourselves up to be soaked and to be saturated in the word of God, the Bible teaches us that we will become holy and blameless before him. Amen. So we look to Christ to cleanse us by his word, scrubbing out all of our spots and ironing out all of our wrinkles 
Let us as God's people resist the temptation of the five virgins who became lazy and complacent in their preparation for the bridegroom's return. Let us as God's people make ourselves ready for his return. The Bible says, blessed are those who wash their robes. So let us wash our robes and make them white through the blood of Christ. The Bible says that the bride made herself ready by adorning herself for her husband. And brothers and sisters, I'm challenging us today. Let us adorn ourselves in white robes of the righteousness of Christ. Let us make ourselves ready by soaking in ourselves in God's word. And let us, let us anxiously wait for the return of our husband, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today thanking you that you have claimed us to be your bride. We are yours because you chose us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for paying the price, paying the dowry by your blood on the cross, the sacrifice of yourself. Lord, we realize that you have resurrected and have ascended to the Father, waiting for the day to come get your bride. Until that day comes, Lord, I pray as your people that we would totally saturate ourselves in your word. Lord, scrub out the spots and iron out the wrinkles in our hearts and lives. Do it. By sanctifying us in truth, because your word is truth. Minister to our hearts, Lord, as we seek you as our loving husband. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.